Well, how do you do? Happy Sunday, February 19th to everyone. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Fred Hampton in the Suites. The long delayed, many times canceled, and finally coming through show. I uh, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, still working with a new setup, so if the sound's bad, please let me know because I have no idea. I have no way to monitor my sound right now. I am just flying blind and deaf. feel like Tommy up in here, like from The Who. Thank you, Big Mouth Baby. Also, great name, Big Mouth Baby Mom. <sighs> Again, apologies for all the delays. Um, turns out that uh, sometimes work uh, takes up a lot of time. Who would have thought, you know, chose the wrong career path. Should have been a uh, uh, some kind of sorcerer. But instead, I've chose a lawyer. So here we are. Uh, thank you for coming to the show. For those of you who are listening later, welcome. Uh, just a couple things we want to talk about today. And the main thing is just uh, all about trains. Uh, train, train, go away. People getting rail, railroaded in uh, East Palestine. Uh, h- however you want to put it. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about this uh, train derailment that's happened uh, with a Norfolk Southern freight train in East Palestine, Ohio, which is a, a pretty small town there, population of about uh, a little less than 5,000 people. Um, so a, a town very similar, it seems, to the one I grew up in, where uh, they're not used to this kind of thing happening in their town. And uh, they don't exactly have the infrastructure, the town, to deal with this on their own. Uh, this is going to require the EPA. It's going to require a lot of state and federal resources to get this cleanup uh, done to, to stop all the fallout that's being caused by it. But if you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, let me just give you a little bit of background on what's going on. So on February 3rd of 2023, uh, a train, a freight train, from the company uh, Norfolk Southern was carrying hazardous materials and derailed somewhere in East Palestine, Ohio. And uh, there there are some videos of the the freight train leading up to this derailment. Uh, Some of the videos show that the freight train was on fire some 20 minutes before it derailed in this area. Something had gone wrong, but uh, when this train derailed, when this train derailed, uh, the chemicals, uh, specific, specifically, uh, hydrogen chloride and phosgene or phosgene, uh, were released into the air and onto the ground. There was a, the freight train, uh, burned for over two days after February 3rd. And uh, emergency crews conducted what was called a controlled burn of several of the rail cars on the requested uh, site uh, and at the request of of state officials. And just just to give some background as to 
who was on this train, what caused the accident. So far, we don't know. We don't know what caused the actual accident itself. But we do know that on board the train were an engineer, a conductor, and a conductor trainee. And the train consisted of nine empty cars and 141 loaded cars. So we're talking about a crew of three people on this train. Uh, as uh, Big Mouth Baby Mom in the comments says, the brakes of the train were on fire. That is a big problem here, um, mainly because the uh, the brakes on this train and on basically all trains in America date back to the Civil War era. These are not updated brakes. These are ancient braking systems which break each car one by one. So there's no way to sort of slow down the train collectively as a whole. Uh, the brakes are working individually for each car. And since each car has a different load, uh, they're stopping. The cars are stopping at a different time. So there's a potential for a slinky effect to happen because all the cars can't be brought to a complete stop at the same time. And why is that important? Well, we're going to get into some of the uh, sort of governmental regulations and the pullbacks on those regulations, which contributed to this happening. And by the way, I don't know if anyone else can hear, can anyone hear a, uh, a washer machine going on in the back? Because I'm definitely washing clothes too. <laughs> And I just realized I had a microphone over there for the speaker. Uh, so if that becomes a problem, I'll just stop the washer machine so we can talk about trains, baby. Um, but anyway, the, 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 uh, just to give sort of some more background on the, uh, the train derailment itself, some of the best reporting has been coming from David Sroda and his crew over at The Lever. And David Sirota was recently on an episode of uh, a show called Crystal Kyle and Friends and gave a pretty good uh, breakdown as to how we got here. But just before we get there and, and, and sort of listen to that clip, I do want to emphasize how bad things have been for the residents in East Palestine right now. Um, people are reporting... Uh, skin irritation, coughing, uh, contaminated water supplies, uh, people with farms. There are reports of uh, some of these chemicals being put into the water or getting into creeks and waters and, and, and the river. Uh, apparently, there are re multiple reports of river and... and, and um, uh, creeks where there are just hundreds and thousands of dead fish, which are just floating along. Um, there are reports of people's farm animals dying. Uh, there was a report that I think um, Jordan uh, Sheraton did with uh, Status Coup, where he was interviewing people in the area of East Palestine, and it was either a fox farmer or a, a chicken farmer who... Uh, had animals that were dying. I think I think this was a fox farmer, but uh, this person farms foxes and one of them has died and others are uh, displaying signs of neurological damage. Uh, 
I know there was also a chicken farmer where all the chickens died. Uh, this is these are dangerous hazardous chemicals which are having an effect on biological life there and disrupting the ecosystem. And Norfolk's response so far has been to say, in large part, well, these chemicals are not as hazardous as people think. If you burn them out, if you burn these chemicals out, then it dissipates them, destroys them, and they're no longer in the air, so you don't have to worry about it. But what they're really neglecting to emphasize here is that if these chemicals get into the ground and get into the water, they can stay there for a long time. That's an entirely different problem. And with these car, uh, these trains derailing, uh, these chemicals have gotten into the water there and the, and the ground. So I want to give, um, I want to play that clip of David Sirota giving a breakdown of not just how this accident occurred, but how we got here more generally, uh, and specifically how we got here in terms of our policies, in terms of the lack of regulations, and some of the government failures and some of the um, corporate capture that led us here. So this is, uh, again, this is David Sirota on Crystal, Kyle, and Friends. And let me know if the sound comes through. Whereas socialism is a sort of like whatever they want. Honestly. Hold on one second. There is no way. There's deep phrases. And okay, here we go. Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Speak to the fire, which is much needed. Let's get to it. Joining us now is the man himself, David Sirota. Great to see you, sir. Good to see you both. Yeah, our pleasure. Um, we're just singing your praises, and I think uh, very much deservedly so, because Lever News has done the best and some of the only reporting on how exactly we ended up with this train derailment in Ohio, with it being as devastating as it ultimately is, and an attempt by uh, the Biden administration and Pete Buttigieg at the uh, Department of Transportation to pretend like, oh, there's nothing we could do about it, like we're just powerless here. So I'd first love for you to walk people through the chain of corrupt events, starting with the Obama administration that contributed to the derailment and like I said, the devastation from the derailment. So the story that has been told, or at least finally is starting to be told, is the story of the uh, the fallout from the disaster. Uh, I think the story that is rarely told in situations like this is how did we get to this point? What what policy changes happened to make this uh, the, the conditions exist for a disaster like this to happen? And that's what this what the story that we've been reporting from the beginning has been. So you have to rewind the tape about 10, 15 years. And uh, 10 or 15 years ago, there was a series of um, train derailments, uh, and specifically hazmat train derailments, oil trains and the like, uh, and one train derailment in New Jersey involving the same chemical uh, that is at issue in Ohio. Uh, and in the aftermath of that, the Obama administration, uh, under some pressure, uh, did the right thing in the sense of putting forward uh, a proposal, a rule proposal of the Department of Transportation, to start better regulating uh, trains that carry hazardous materials. Uh, and so this is about 2013, 2014, uh, and the like. Uh, and the, the proposed rule was everything from uh, disclosure requirements to state and local governments so that they could know and their first responders could know what kinds of hazardous materials are moving through their areas 
disclosure, uh, tank fortification rules, how strong the tanks are that are carrying the hazardous materials, uh, speed rules, uh, and of course, uh, electronic braking rules. The idea was that trains that were classified as uh, high hazard flammable trains, HHFTs, would be subjected to all these rules, including a mandate to put uh, in place better brakes to, to slow trains in a, in a more effective way to prevent derailment. So that's about 2013-2014. The National Transportation Safety Board comes to the Obama regulators and says, hey, listen, these rules should apply broadly to trains carrying all sorts of hazardous materials, in, in particular, known as class two hazardous flammable materials, uh, not just class three. These are technical terms, you know, class, you know, there was a debate. Should it, should these rules only apply to trains carrying uh, uh, oil and ethanol? And, and the NTSB said, no, it should be brought. Uh, the chemical industry then came to the Obama administration and said, no, we, we want <laughs> we want the rules to be narrow. We we don't want to have to deal with all of these upgrades uh, for our stuff, our our non-crude oil, non-ethanol, but nonetheless dangerous chemicals. And the Obama administration at that point sided with the chemical industry lobbyists, narrowing these rules so that they only largely apply to uh very, very large oil uh, oil trains, uh, trains of 20 or more cars of, of oil. So a narrowing there, giving the uh, chemical companies, giving sort of industry uh, a break. But the rule that passed did include a mandate for the trains that it covered to at least include those electronic brakes. Right now, the trains in America carrying freight are largely using Civil War era uh, air brakes. Uh, the rail industry itself has said uh, repeatedly that ECP brakes, as they're known, uh, are much better for safety and can can reduce accidents, uh, mitigate uh, derailments when they happen and the like. That's the rail industry itself. And the idea was, okay, so the rule is narrow. That's not great. But at least the mandate will start compelling, forcing the industry to start uh, using this equipment in a much bigger way with the hope of, with the goal of making it industry standard. So that that's at the end of the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. Then the American Association of Railroads, which is the lobbying group for the railroads, sees that Donald Trump has won. Uh, they start pushing uh, Senate Republicans to champion the idea of repealing the brake mandate, even though the mandate, again, is only uh, now put on a limited number of trains, they want, they don't want any of it, which is, by the way, a, a side note, kind of, kind of insane in that only a few years before that, the rail industry was saying ECP brakes are great. The moment the government was thinking about mandating it, that's when their lobbying, uh, their lobbying apparatus went into action. Uh, and they ultimately convinced Donald Trump uh, to use his executive authority to repeal the brake rule. So now the industry is under no mandates at all to use better brakes writ large. Fast forward now to uh, what happened in Ohio. Uh, we don't exactly know what caused uh, the, the accident, but we can say this for sure. The train was not classified as a high hazard flammable train, which is mind blowing uh, when you see the pictures of fireballs and mushroom clouds and hundred foot of flames. So 
state and local authorities were not given, uh, and this is confirmed by the governor of Ohio, because of this classification, they were not given advanced warning of what kind of chemicals were on this train. Uh, The the tank rules were not in in place. Uh, The ECP brake rules were uh, not in place. Again, both for two reasons. One, the rule didn't cover the train generally. And two, Donald Trump had repealed that rule. So those are the decisions that have created, helped create the, the kind situation on the nation's rails in the lead up to this disaster. And these were decisions made by elected officials. And of course, the last thing to say on on this story is that the Biden administration has made no attempt publicly uh, in terms of rulemaking, what we can see from the documents, no attempt to reinstate the break rule no attempt to use executive authority to broaden the definition of what a high hazard flammable train is, uh, even though obviously under the under the law uh, and experts we've talked to, former regulators say that the Department of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg's department, has the authority to begin a new rulemaking process. That hasn't happened. What we do know has happened is that on the uh, Buttigieg Transportation Department's docket right now is a proposal to consider weakening brake testing rules, the, oh ma- the frequency with which train brakes need to be tested. Wow. And just one thing, uh, point of clarification, David, as you said, we don't know specifically what caused this crash, but I believe it was you all that um, quoted some experts as saying that it could, having these more advanced braking systems in place could have mitigated the damage. And they described it, the train is like a slinky where the the energy from the back, you know, pushes the whole thing together. And then you have more cars ultimately derail when you don't have these more advanced braking systems that could prevent that sort of like slinky crushed up effect to use some very technical terms here. Yes, a a former federal uh, safety official said to us that would ECT brakes have made a difference in this uh, situation? And he said, uh, yes, it's unequivocal. Uh, I think we don't, I mean, would it have derailed completely? I'm not sure we know. Would it have made the derailment uh, 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 less bad? Uh, it, it's hard to say in which ways, but that's what, what they're saying. And look, that's what the industry has said in the past, right? I mean, that's what Norfolk Southern, uh, Norfolk Southern touted ECP breaks before it started lobbying against uh, the mandate for ECP breaks. Now, there are, there are other parts of this, too. I mean, I mean, the Wall Street Journal reported that there was uh, a potential fire on the rail uh, miles beforehand, uh, but there are That's no on federal video, requirements. That's on video. They yeah, have that on there, video. There are no requirements for workers on the train warning about that. Of course, there's the understaffing of the railways generally, where where the companies have been cutting staff uh, to jack up their profits. Workers have been warning this is going to reduce our ability to maintain the rails, uh, reduce our ability to to keep uh, the rails safe. So all of that is at play. It's really, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrible, perfect storm. Uh, and, and I think it's really important to look at the the decisions that were made that create the conditions uh, for things like this. We, we need to know that information to know who hasn't made decisions and what kinds of decisions can be made now moving forward to prevent this from happening in the future. So again, that was uh, David Sirota from The Lever on Crystal Kyle and Friends uh, with some really good reporting there. Uh, just a, a little bit of a recap 
some of the things that led us to this point where a train is derailing in East Palestine. And it's not just East Palestine. In the, in the days after East Palestine, there have been at least three other train derailments that I know of. One other one of which is a train in Michigan, which was hauling hazardous materials. And I think also a train in uh, Texas. I think the train in Texas that derailed, 16 cars derailed out in Texas. I, I believe that train was also hauling hazardous materials. Um, but but just a little bit of a recap. Obama is in office, has the ability to uh, create regulations to uh, classify certain trains as being uh, hazardous and requiring additional safety measures. Uh, the chemical companies at the time were able to convince the Obama administration that the only thing that needed to be classified as a category three or the highest categorization of uh, flammable uh, hazardous material were like big fuel trains, trains that carry a whole bunch of ethanol or petroleum, whatever. Uh, and Obama and his administration agreed that they would not apply the stringent, the more stringent safety standards to uh, other hazardous materials like the ones involved here, mainly phosgen and hydrogen chloride. Here's the kicker, though. And this is where my law brain cannot, like, I can't believe how stupid smart people can be sometimes. All of these lawyers that we say are so... Oh, you're, you're brilliant. You're this. These guys are ever educated at Harvard and Yale. But here's how, they, here's how they make the distinction in the classification of super hazardous material versus non-hazardous material, quote unquote, non-hazardous or less hazardous material, which is what we have in East Palestine. Okay. The distinction was whether the, the material involved was flammable or just combustible. So I'll say that one more time, just so people can, can like understand how stupid that is. The distinction for the higher distinction of like, this is the worst kind of hazardous material is it has to be quote flammable. For the second class of hazardous material, it can be combustible, but it better not be flammable. It better not be because flammable is dangerous, but combustible is not. These are the type of like, like lawyery contract language nitpicking shit that doesn't get to the heart of the issue, which is, hey, motherfucker, is this dangerous or not? Is this going to hurt people if it derails or not? Who the fuck cares if it's hazardous or, 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 or uh, uh, combustible? I mean, flammable or combustible. That doesn't make any sense. But these are the kinds of things that lobbyists are going to do. They are able to uh, work with that language and massage it into uh, uh, convincing the Obama administration and his big brain and his administration's big brain of classifying a train as, I don't know, less like, mm, like dangerous than what it actually is. And I'm sorry, but that's dangerous. That's a dangerous way to make policy, especially regulatory policy, which is supposed to be geared towards protecting the public from harm. Why are we lawyering our way 
into less inclusive language to let companies skirt safety regulations because it's better for their bottom line of profits when it's worse off for everybody who has to deal with the fallout of their bullshit, which is what's happening in East Palestine right now. So again, it starts with the, uh, this Obama administration that allows this classification for the materials on this train that were carried in East Palestine to have a lesser safety standard than, quote unquote, more hazardous materials, right? But that's not where this ends. Because the Obama administration still was putting in place a rule for electronic braking systems, as you heard, uh, much better braking systems, Norfolk Southern and the railroad industry themselves have advocated for these braking systems because they work better. They're more safe. But as soon as that regulatory requirement was coming in, Norfolk Southern looks and says, well, this is going to cost us more money, so we don't want to do it. And suddenly they're opposed to these braking systems. Trump gets into office and repeals it, says, you know what? Uh, you don't need these braking systems. You don't need these electronic braking systems that are more safe and repeals it. And here we are. The braking systems could have unequivocally, as you heard David Sirota say there, uh, they unequivocally would have had an effect here. They could have mitigated a lot of these damages too. But, you know, it doesn't make enough profit for the shareholders. And speaking of profits, uh, I want to play another clip of, this is on the problem with Jon Stewart, which he's talking to several people about this event. Uh, Norfolk Southern here is making record profits. Record profits. Uh, higher than they've ever made. And I, I just want to play that clip for you. Uh, to give you a little sense of, of what's been going on there. So. I, I, I want to read you something. They spent $191 billion on stock buybacks. These are the Norfolk Southern and the seven largest freight railroad companies. $191 billion on stock buybacks between 2011 and 2021. So that's, that's a 10-year a, a period. And during that time, that's the time when they slashed the workforce by 30%. And that's the time when they lobbied the government not to have to upgrade the braking systems. So who is going to be liable for this? It's the people, the people who are going to suffer because of this. And there is no liability. I mean, the shareholders of the railroads are extremely happy right. to have record profits, great dividends, screaming high profit margins. You know, it's the oligarchy. We need to focus on the lobbying efforts of the railroads and the fact that they've invested so much money in campaign finance and lobbying yeah. to deter. You know, we, we've got we've got nineteenth-century oh, technology running on the rails. Yeah, the bigger the, the bigger issue that you speak of, which is lobbyist and industry capture of the legislative process. That's the part that you know we can have all the the sort of right-wing populism that we want. But until they tell their judges that, we're going to be in the same boat because they can say we want to protect the work. But if you don't allow for a regulatory regime to have any teeth, industries aren't going to protect those workers. So it's all a bit of a shell game, unfortunately. 
So again, that was on the problem with John Stewart. Um, but if you heard that uh, correctly, uh, during the same period where they're making record profits, they're spending millions and millions of dollars on stock buybacks, which again, are simply a tool that companies use to increase the value of their own shares. Basically, it's just a financial game. It adds no actual value to the company itself. It just helps uh, increase the the relative value of each share of their stocks. Uh, it is a weird financial game that doesn't do anything, but ends up because our economy so often is, is based on just a bunch of magical number bullshit and ends up making their company more successful on paper. But during that same time, they're also lobbying, spending money to lobby the government against the uh, regulations to force them to implement electronic braking systems. So this is, this is just, I, I really want people to understand how messed up the incentive structure is here. If you're a corporation, because here, here's what we, we hear about capitalism a lot, right? Here, here's like the inherent lie that's built in to capitalism is competition is, well, basically it's this. One, companies need an incentive to innovate. They want to make more money and that's their incentive. It will lead them to innovate and make better products and their competition against other companies is going to force them to be more innovative, is going to force them to make better products because how do you outcompete your uh, another company? Well, you make a better product. You make a better uh, experience for the consumer. And the companies that are able to do that are going to be rewarded the most because they're going to make the most money off of it, right? So the, the, the lie is here that the way to make the most money is to innovate the product, to innovate the service. That's not what they're doing here. The way for them to make the most money here was to do financial witchcraft and buy back their own stocks. Instead of improving the safety of their trains. And here's the other thing is if money is the only incentive, that doesn't make a better experience for all the people who are affected by your service and product. All the people in East Palestine right now are what we call in the corporate world externalities. These are people who are being affected by your corporate structure, but that your corporate structure does not have to pay for or account for. They have no, uh, uh, there's no way for these people in East Palestine really to, or I'll put it this way. It's, it's an effect of your corporate practice that is detrimental to people outside of your institution. The people of East Palestine, it's, it's the same thing as global warming, right? You have companies who are making record profits who are fundamentally affecting the environment of the entire planet 
but they don't really have to pay for that. The actual cost for uh, that service is being paid by us. So in a way, we are subsidizing their profits because typically when you sell something, you have to account for all the costs that go into the product, that go into the thing that you are selling. But if you have this externality, if you can dump that cost on the outside forces who have no effect on your company and who don't take the profits, you will always do that because the incentive is first and foremost, increase shareholder value, increase money. So this, this illusion that like competition is going to make our trains better or, uh, you know, like greed is good because it's forcing the train companies to innovate. No, it's not. It's cheaper for them and more effect and they make more money by doing stock buybacks and then spending whatever millions they do to lobby the government, to lobby their friends in the government, to just make their safety regulations more lax. It's cheaper for them. And it's not, it's, I think it's very important that we understand this structurally because one of the things that I'm seeing a lot of people talk about now is basically um, they're calling out the CEO of North Norfolk Southern. Uh, and I'm, I got to look up his name again because I forget it because honestly, like, look, I get it. The guy made something like what Alan Shaw he made millions of dollars. His net worth is more than $11 million. Uh, he's He's been making a ton of money off of this. But to call out Alan Shaw, the CEO, for people to call for his head is kind of missing the point here. Alan Shaw, like the individual who is in charge of Norfolk Southern, is not the problem. The problem is the incentive structure for the corporation itself. Because no matter, we could take Alan Shaw out and uh, take him out of the, he can get fired and he can, you know, go retire on some nice fucking, I don't know, island somewhere, whatever. And an exact same replica is always like 99 times, 999,000 times out of, uh, you know, 10,000, whatever, like the vast majority of the time, another person just like him is going to take his place because the problem is not the individual in charge of the corporation. The problem is the corporate structure and the incentive structure for the corporation. If you're ever wondering why all these corporations end up acting so evilly, it's because the incentives are screwed up that they make more money by doing that. And so long as that's the only check the only thing that they have to care about is increasing shareholder value. They're always going to do that. It does not make sense for them to be moral. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make literal sense, like dollars and cents. But let's talk a little bit about the fallout from, from East Palestine. You would think that there would be a huge, just incredible sort of outcry from our nation's leaders, from all... Uncle Joe, uh, it's not really what's going on here. I mean, you'll remember uh, not too long ago, earlier this uh, last year or last year, um, the 
the railroad workers were striking or they were they were considering striking and what they were asking for it wasn't even really for more pay they were asking for paid sick leave being able to take a day off and they were asking please train companies do not lower the number of employees on a train from a minimum of two to a minimum of one. You recall that the train companies were are, are still actively actually trying to lobby to allow these freight trains to have crew members of one, which is nuts, okay? Remember, this, this crew, the crew for this Ohio train derailment in East Palestine, which again had 150 load uh 150 cars on it nine of them were empty 141 were loaded and 20 were carrying hazardous materials and it wasn't just it, it was uh, there was there were more hazardous materials here I, I i misspoke it wasn't just hydrogen chloride and phosgen those were released into the air but the hazardous materials on the train were vinyl chloride uh butyl acrylate ethylexyl acrylate Ethylene, glycol, monobutyl, ether, isobutylene. I don't even know what all this stuff is, okay? But, like, it doesn't fill me with hope. <laughs> you know, I'm not – it all sounds pretty messed up, okay? It's like looking at the back of, like, a, a processed food and seeing that it has, like, dimetyl capotene or whatever and being like, well, I don't know what the fuck that is, but – that's going to hurt me. I know that that's going to come back and bite me in the ass later. But this is what's all on the train, all of these crazy chemicals. And, you know, this train car of 150 cars was being run by three people, three. And one of them was a trainee. So this would have been two. And now you have railroad companies saying, well, it should be one. Honestly, it should just be one. Um, so it's, it's, you hear about these railroad workers when they're, when they're threatening to go on strike and it's fascinating to see how different their demands are from the demands of the corporations of the railroads themselves, the owners of the railroads. They were asking not even, like I said, for more pay. It wasn't even the monetary incentive that they're looking for. They wanted things to be safer. They wanted, they wanted to be able to be healthy. So when they're asking, you know, when they're talking about things like, yeah, we need more train crews so that we can make sure the railroads are safe, so that we can prevent derail, derailments. I mean, one of the, that was a common theme that you heard these railroad workers talking about. They kept talking about the risk of derailments. There have been a lot more derailments lately, is what they'd say. And then after that, they'd say, well, we want to, prevent those things from happening. We don't want that to happen. And instead, you know, you have these railroad companies insisting that, well, these should be one-person crews. And then the railroad companies win. And this happens. Let's, okay, let's talk about the aftermath. I'm kind of ranting a little bit, but, I mean, there's a lot of different parts to this problem. And to me, it's all connected, you know, like it's, 
it's 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 a structural issue and it's something that's going to continue to happen because here's how our government's reacting to it and here's how Norfolk Southern is reacting to it well Norfolk Southern was supposed to attend a town hall in East Palestine and pulled out at the last minute citing quote unquote their own like safety concerns because they didn't want to go hear a bunch of pissed off country bumpkins talk about how bad the chemicals were hurting them. How uh, the irony of citing your own safety concerns after you've literally just polluted an entire town with God knows what all chemicals after you're killing all these fish, you're killing animals. People are reporting things. This whole town could have like cancer and like, 20 years. We have no idea what's going to be happening here. If you look up any of the videos of just some of the people in this town documenting the burnoff, documenting the the dead uh, animals that are around, the chemicals that are coming up from the water and the creeks, like that's where they fucking live. They got to live there for the rest of their lives. Or not, they don't, who knows, right? But they they either got to move or they got to live there. And Norfolk Southern can't even come out and and uh, attend a town hall to try to talk to these people because they're they're too scared of their own safety. Well, did they care about safety? Did these people care about the safety of the four thousand seven hundred people who live in this town? It's just the irony of that is ridiculous. Uh, but don't worry. Even though they didn't offer to, even though they pulled out of the town hall, Norfolk Folk Southern is offering, and this is according to uh, Julia Malik at Yahoo Finance, they're offering to give a donation to the Ohio town where they caused this destruction to East Palestine, Ohio. So at least, at least they're going to get paid. At least, thank God, thank God for you, Norfolk Southern. How much are you offering? Are you going to ask me how much they're offering? Remember, this is a company that's made like, it had like, it has 55 billion in market value. They initiated a $10 billion stock buyback program, $10 billion stock buyback program. And they made something like 10 to $15 billion of revenue last year. How much money do you think they're offering the town which they poisoned? The town which they poisoned, okay? After making 10 to $15 billion, I believe last year, and the $10 billion stock buyback program, they are offering the entire town of East Palestine, Ohio, a $25,000 donation. A $25,000 donation, folks. That's $5 a resident. If I, look, if, if, I'm sorry, but if a company like, if a company literally poisoned me and all of my property 
and all of my family and friends and killed my pet fox with chemicals and all of my chickens. And they offered me $5. We're fighting. These motherfuckers, $5 per person, $25,000, not even $25,000 per person total is what this multi $55 billion company is offering this town that they just poisoned after lobbying against the safety regulations that could have prevented this accident for years. That's what they're offering. It's, it's, it's one of the most egregious fuck yous I've, I've seen, honestly. Um, and they're offering that probably only just to try to escape liability. There's probably going to be a ton of lawsuits out of this. There are, it's questionable whether any of these lawsuits are actually going to be able to go through too. And we could talk about that in a bit too, but that's what Norfolk Southern is doing. Okay. So they're doing fuck all. They're doing nothing. Um, as far as I'm concerned that none of that, all of that is just complete. It's an insult. Um, but luckily we can depend on the, on the white house. God bless America. We can, we can always depend on, our politicians, can't we? Especially the most capable person to ever be in government. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know him. You love him. He made all of your holiday travels completely seamless. And he's definitely, absolutely punished the uh, airlines for all of their stock buybacks and their price gouging and selling seats for planes that they knew they didn't have. Ladies and gentlemen, Pete Buttigieg is here to save us. Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, good old Mayor Pete of South Bend, Indiana. Something like a Rhodes Scholar, Harvard boy. Pretty sure he's Harvard. He might be Yale. I think he's a Harvard guy. One of the smartest people ever. And it's, it's, it's fascinating because this is... I... I used to be very like, um, I used to kind of believe that all these people were smart as their degrees say they are. But after seeing how horrible Pete Buttigieg has been in this role too, and just seeing how dysfunctional our government is, I think we could use some more dumbasses to be quite frank. Because uh, these guys are not cutting it. They're clearly not cutting it. But here is, um, I want to talk, Pete Buttigieg has not directly addressed this uh, train derailment in East Palestine. He's a, the transportation secretary. He has a lot of power to be able to actually initiate the process to change regulations regarding these trains. He can initiate a process right now to uh, ask that trains carrying these materials be classified with the highest level of hazardous material classification and subject to the most stringent safety standards. He could do that. He can uh, initiate the process again to reinstate Obama's uh, promise to uh, mandate electronic braking systems for these trains. Pete Buttigieg can do that. He hasn't even talked about the East Palestine derailment yet. Instead, he appeared at the uh, 
the National Association of Countries Conference, or I'm sorry, the National Association of Counties Conference. And Pete Buttigieg had this to say um, there about the state of transportation. It's had its challenges. Uh, I mean, if you look at what the American transportation systems have faced in the last two or three years, partly because of the pandemic, we've faced issues from container shipping to airline cancellations. Mm -hmm. Now we got balloons. That's right. Um. <laughs> okay. So if you didn't hear that, it says had its challenges. We face challenges with uh, ports shipping or something like that, you know, and you remember during COVID how much of a shit show it was for our ports to be open. Uh, the backlog at the ports was crazy. He was Department of Transportation Secretary at that time. He talks about the airlines. He was Department of Transportation Secretary at that time. And then he talks about balloons. So he's making a joke about the 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 UFOs and the, the balloons that have been popping up in different parts of uh, in and around the United States and other places and the Chinese spy balloon, whatever. Like, funny, you know, haha, cool. Where are you on the East Palestine train derailment, pal? Like, where, where are you, buddy? We, I'm not against people making jokes. I'm not against people doing their thing or whatever. But like, this guy's nowhere to be found. Here's what else he said at that same conference. This is um, a clip, uh, again, from the same conference, but uh, getting it via breaking points. Um, just another thing that he was saying here about, uh, just just to show you kind of how clueless this guy really is. And I hate to be, I, I don't I don't like being mean to people, really. But I... This guy is not good at his job. And it just seems like he doesn't care. Well, here's the... All right, so here's the, the, the clip from Breaking Points. Ecological catastrophe that is unfolding in the state of Ohio. Instead, this is what he has to talk about. To work with your contractors, uh, to work with your community colleges on building a workforce that reflects the community. We have heard way too many stories from generations past of infrastructure where you got a neighborhood, often a neighborhood of color that finally sees the project come to them, but everyone in the hard hats on that project looking like, uh, uh, you know, doing, doing the good paying jobs don't look like they came from anywhere near the neighborhood. Right. You can build community wealth that will help close wealth gaps in this country if we can tear down those barriers. But that happens at the delivery level. Okay, so um, if you heard that, he's talking about basically diversity, equity, and inclusion. Look, I like diversity. I like people. I, I We definitely need to reach out to different communities and do this and that and get, you know, put people on more equal footing, give people more equal opportunities. But dude, a train just derailed in East Palestine. What are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? We need to build. We need people to like, we need a form of like, uh, I don't know, inclusion for people to like, look like the people that they come from their communities or whatever he's saying. What, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? 
What are you going to do about this fucking train? What are you going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? How about this? How about we we do something about the fact that, like, there's a community right now, right now, that is dealing with chemicals from a train that derailed there that needs you to directly step in and do something about it. That's a community. If you care so much about communities, why don't you care about this community here? You can do stuff that actually affects uh, the, the potential for these kinds of things to happen again. But he's not doing it. He's not doing anything. And and uh, here's here's an even more cynical take. I think this motherfucker, the only thing he cares about really is obtaining more power. Is uh, obtaining more and more and more power. He wants to make another run. He wants to set himself up for another political career. Fine. Great. Whatever. But I feel like some of this talk about communities of color or we need to make sure that people have these jobs who look like the communities that they're from. I think this is him understanding and recognizing how piss poor he did with black voters. And trying to start gearing up the sound bites to appeal to that base once he gets back into a primary, whether that's this time around or next time around. But I I can't imagine having that much power to actually do something and sitting on my hands. Boy, I tell you, the shit, what I would be doing here is I would be doing everything that I could fucking think of and then force the Constitution or Congress or a corporation, whatever, to stop me from doing it. That's what you do. You don't even ask if you have the power to do it yet. You just do it, and then if people, if they want to stop you, let them try. Because at least now we're having that conversation out in the open. You see the fact that I'm trying to do shit, and then let the motherfucking snakes who actually don't want this shit to go through, who want the system to continue as it is, let them show themselves. Let them come out their caves. Let them show that they oppose more stringent safety regulations on these trains that are derailing all over the United States and that just poison an entire town in East Palestine. Like, you got to let you, 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 that's the game. Like, look, the job for Pete and for any politician really should be like push as far as you possibly can or, to, to get the shit done for the people that you need to get it done for. The idea is uh, to ask forgiveness, not permission, right? Like you just go, you do it, and then you make them try to stop you. Like that's how power works if you're in a position like that. But he's too concerned about how that's going to reflect on his own individual political career, which is so ironic because the idea of being a politician just for yourself is so fucking ass backwards. It's ass. Why are you here in an elected role if you don't want to actually represent people? It's I, it's it's wild to me. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Um, I really don't get it, and it it's fucking annoying. Okay, so who can we trust then? If we can't trust Pete, Norfolk ain't doing shit. Norfolk Southern ain't gonna do a goddamn thing. Uh, Pete doesn't seem like he's going to do anything, but
But what about the head honcho here? What about the big kahuna? What about the big, what about the guy with the biggest balls in the room? What about Joe Byron? Joe Byron, baby, let me take you to dinner. Let me take you to dinner. Come on through for us, Joe Byron. We need you. Because if Joe Byron starts telling Pete Buttigieg to do something, then Pete's got to jump. He's got to do it. Joe Biden says jump. Pete says how high. Because Pete serves at the pleasure of the president. So what's Joe doing here? Well, we don't know exactly. But, oh boy, have I got a clip for you. Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, was asked about Pete's performance. Sorry about that. I'm getting to the, let me get to the place, but was asked about Pete's performance and, and how, whether Biden has confidence in how Pete's doing. Uh, this is a press conference that happened, oh, geez, it was, was it February 16th, 2023? But it's a recent press conference after the East Palestine derailment. Um, so Karine Jean-Pierre, Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about how, you know, what, what Joe Biden thought about Pete's job so far with this East Palestine derailment. And I, I, I want you to really hear this. Just this kind of blew my mind. And I haven't actually heard this clip played anywhere else yet. And it's it's stunning, but here here's the clip. On the uh, tanker rolling in Ohio, uh, Secretary Buttigieg has gotten some criticism, uh, some of it, much of it in Ohio, some of it from Democrats and Republicans, who argue that he waited too long to respond, and then he's is seemed to be fixated on trying to deflect blame to the previous administration. So does the president, is he satisfied with the, with the government's response to this derailment? And is he, uh, does he have confidence in Yes, absolutely. I can answer that very quickly and very uh, with, with, quick, with confidence from here that we do have uh, absolute confidence in, in Mayor Pete. And sec- I will say that, Secretary of uh, the Judge. All right. Complete confidence. Oh, ooh, ooh, what is that? Ooh. Get out of here, ad. Fuck out of here. Okay, but you heard that, okay? Um, Complete confidence in Mayor Pete, in good old Mayor Pete, who waited too long to respond and is just going to play the political game of blaming Trump. Just quick recap. It was both of them. It was Obama and Trump, okay? They both serve the same masters, which is just corporate power lobbyists, big think tank boys and girls who, with the big brains, big brains who come out of all these big schools and, 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 and um, come up with these dumbass solutions that just always, always, always seem to be aligned with maximizing shareholder values, with just aligned with increasing the profits for corporation. That's what the smartest people do. Like it's, it's a joke. It's a joke for, for, for Corinne Jean-Pierre, 
first of all, it's a joke for her name to be that French. Okay. This is America. Stop being French. All right. But jokes aside, right? With Corinne Jean-Pierre, it's a joke that she would just say, yes, with ex- extreme confidence. We have absolute confidence in Mayor Pete. This guy has, dude, I am not like, I'm not one for like people getting fired and shit a lot of the times, but this guy should have been fired a long time ago. He sucks. Pete Buttigieg is doing a terrible job. Is 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 doing is, is terrible, and to say you have complete competence behind him, tell me this: what what's the point of having a, a presidential cabinet with people who run regulatory agencies if you're going to put people there who are incompetent? And this is one of the things that's crazy about Biden to me. That's wild. That just makes me think that he doesn't really know what he's doing, and sometimes he just gets lucky. But some of the people he's chosen for some of these positions are pretty good. Okay, like uh, Lena Khan comes to mind, chairman of the FTC. I, she is doing really, she's doing God's work. Okay, she is uh, really coming down on anti-competitive practices. She's uh, trying to eliminate non-competes for all workers so that uh, companies can't restrict their workers from working for another company after they lose their job. Like she's she's doing a lot of things that are actually great, which which makes it even more baffling to me that Joe Biden would just look at the job Pete's doing and his administration and they just say, yeah, this is great. Like, what do you do? Do you care? Obviously, it's not great. We've all seen the, the effects of it so far. It's you know, it's it's a. It's a mess. It's a mess. I, and, and you know, I, I would like to take some callers and discuss things more and, and just go into whatever questions you may have. But I think if there's anything you can really take away from today and from this incident, it's really this. One, the incident in all likelihood was preventable, but for corporate lobbying and compliance from the political class on both sides. So this was a preventable accident. It could have been prevented by Obama in all likelihood. It could have been prevented by Trump in all likelihood, or at least mitigated. The damage is mitigated, but both failed to do so. And it happened during a time when corporations are making record profits. So that's the first takeaway. Uh, Two, the people there don't have any power to uh, – well, uh, put it this way. The people who live in East Palestine and, and really everywhere where a train can derail like this are at the mercy of corporations and politicians who don't have their best interests at heart. They are uh, expendable. They really are. Because they're expensive. It would be more expensive for a shareholder to actually put brakes on a train that work, that weren't from the Civil War era, that weren't from, that weren't older than slavery, (laughs) you know, or as old, not older than slavery, but as old as slavery. 
and maybe that's not even good to say because you know we can get into a whole thing about modern slavery and all this shit but like uh, whatever okay like that's the people are expendable and three uh corporations and politicians are not going to regulate or hold themselves accountable i think that's out the window at this point uh mayor pete is just going to blame the trump administration Democrats will like that because it makes Trump seem more incompetent. Trump will just blame Obama and Democrats. Both sides will rah-rah for their sides. No one will get into the nuance. No one will try to tell the people the truth because, again, the people are expendable. Really, at this stage in our democracy, the people are just a means to an end. Um, they're just a way for, uh, you know, like... Uh, just a way to to get into the office. It's it's a formality, really. It's really just a formality, um, because people aren't they're not being legislated for. And this is going to continue until we do something about it. And that's that's a multifaceted uh, solution as to what we do f about it. Uh, one, we, we have to find a way outside of this political dichotomy. It, it, we have to do it. At this point, I, I don't have faith in uh, Democrats, don't have faith, absolutely don't have faith in Republicans, obviously, but like zero faith in, in Democrats and the Democratic Party and the apparatus. You have to challenge power directly. And there's a whole conversation we can have about the inside-outside strategy, whether it's even still worth running under a Democratic ticket. I think in some cases, yes. But in most cases, no, because we need to build viable alternatives. Also, get outside of electoralism. There needs to be more direct action being done, too. What could the direct action be here? For this one, I don't know yet. For the trains, it's tough to say. Because we can't just go out and just start building railroads. That would be the direct action here, right? This one requires like a, a like a legislative or some kind of initiative. So I'm not sure. I would love if people have ideas of, of what you could do in this situation. I would love to hear that. Um, but just things to think about. Um, okay, we're going to go ahead and take our first caller. Uh, I Koroa? Yeah, that's right. Hey, welcome to the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, so what I get from your, what I just listened to was you're looking for ideas to better the world, right? Uh, not necessarily to better the world. Um, I mean, that would be the effect, but really to uh, just let people have more actual control over their own lives and from people who are profiteering off of their lives uh, from, uh, being able to escape the consequences of their actions. So that would better the world, right? Uh, I feel like you're about to try to sell me something. I no. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to do? Okay. No, I'm just, I'm just asking, like, that's a simple, that's a simple way of explaining it, right? Uh, it, I suppose so. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why I'm just skeptical. I'm kind of skeptical of you. Let's see. Okay. Let me give you a chance. Go ahead. Go ahead. What, what do you, why are you skeptical? Because I feel like, I don't know. I feel like you're going to say like, uh, the way to better the world is uh, 
and this is a me thing. This has nothing to do with you. I'm just assuming. I just feel like you'd be like, the way to better the world is to buy my product. It's called <laughs> you know, beet juice. And it'll give you the most juicy thoughts you could ever have hey, and everything will what, be better, you know? Why do you, why do you have that presumption of me? Well, because I, I felt like uh, when, when you came into the uh, uh, the show, when I saw you, uh, you immediately called in. So maybe you just, I don't know, maybe you it didn't seem like you heard anything else that was going on before. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. And usually in my experience, when people have just come in and then called immediately, oh, okay. they're usually trying to talk about something that's tangential at yeah. best to the actual uh, subject of the show, which is fine. I mean, it's... <laughs> Well, like, um, know, yeah. I, I could totally understand if, if you've had experience with that, why you would think that. But I'm I'm not, like, trying to derail anything or trying to sell anything. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, yes, we would like to better the world. What do you think? Um, so, like, my view on it is I feel like I get the energy from you that, like, the political way isn't working too well. There's got to be other sort of formats to um, interject our ideas and what and to define those ideas is important, but I think um, we could all probably agree that it would be great to have sovereign economies that aren't so dependent on um, uh, aren't so dependent on on uh, cross or um, na cross national sort of imports uh -oh. and all this sort of thing. Uh -oh. Like, what's up? Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Well, like the so the, the the idea of sovereign economies, I think, is a is an important thing to emphasize to try to make try to make things a little uh try to things try to make things better hmm, so like, i'm just like i'm just pro I'm, I'm i'm pro like like right now i'm getting involved in sort of re the resort industry i know there's there's ways to sort of circumvent capitalism in a way through uh creating sort of resort living situations you know if there if there's an alternative that's good enough hmm. and people want to want to go into that sort of parallel economy then it's just all about building that economy, um, parallel economy, and then kind of like the idea of if you build it, they will come. But we have to have the resources and ability to do that. So it kind of mm. goes in a loop. But what are your thoughts on that? If only there were some type of, I don't know, like YouTube channel or website that we could, that would help us create that, that alternative economy. Do you know of anything, Icarora? Huh? Maybe Colin. Okay, okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought you were gonna pitch. I, I, I keep feeling there is a pitch here. I keep no, feeling there's it. not. That's okay. that's the funny thing about it. I have okay. nothing. <laughs> well, why the resort? Okay. Well, why why uh, an alternative resort economy or sovereign? I mean, well, sovereign. Uh, have you heard of um, monetary, Paradise? I mean, have you heard of Paradise Islands in Berlin, Germany? The the indoor water park. No. It's a really cool place um, that has like a, a pretty much a living uh, situation where like it's so big and there's so much uh, they, they grow food in there and they even have animals flying around and shit because it's so big. And it's like people live there and they work there. And it's basically a really good uh, understanding of what we could do with our economies. We could turn them into kind of um, by subverting the resort industry, uh, turn the resort industry into the new economy. Um, but it would just take some time and coordination. That's for sure. Uh, maybe I just, uh, I, I, this, I'm going to be honest. This doesn't really strike me as, uh, 
like a sustainable solution. Well, I like, mean, I guess in, in a certain like, way, there's a there's a like a an anarchism uh, to it. But you know, when I think of like subverting the resort industry, well, I don't mean it in a bad way to subvert them. I mean platform. You know, like really get into their get into that industry and really kind of develop it in a way that allows for people to have an, a parallel economy to go to um, just to give them that option because really it's really bad out here. Um, capitalism ha- is in stage and there's a lot of homelessness, even working homeless people. And I think that they would love a solution and love a place they could go like a refuge that is actually really fun and something they can be a part of. So I'm just interested in maybe building that kind of world, you know, like, like, like centering it around, the creation of that sort of parallel economy so that it's not so much political. It's like, Hey, we're, we're getting into this industry. If you, if you know, the corporatists don't ask permission, they just do, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to ask permission or get validation from a majority to, to build something. Well, yeah, I agree with that part. I guess where I, where I'm not seeing, uh, I guess I just don't see how that relates to us building a bunch of resorts and doing our own resort industry. You know, I, well, what, what, do you, what do you think about this train derailment? Do you got any thoughts? Oh shit. I don't know anything about that. Sorry. I, I joined oh. in too late and then I called in. So, <laughs> so I'm okay. exactly what you're, you're fearing, I think. Okay. <laughs> it's okay, man. I, 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 I and I, I apologize if I've been too, uh, skeptical. Um, <laughs> it's okay. But, uh, I'll let the next I guy will... go though. See ya. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for calling in. Appreciate it. Uh, Phil, let me bring you up. I accidentally clicked your picture instead of take the caller. So, uh, Phil, what's going on? Welcome back. Hey, hey, thanks, bye. What's going on? Uh, you know, just talk about trains, baby. Yeah, I put a, a link to this article. This is something that happened in Philly uh, a few years ago. And it was uh, it basically like Conrail tracks that were going through. And left behind, they basically left them in, in, in disrepair. And it, I mean, the particular, the, so basically the city's managing director ended up getting, um, I forget which department, doesn't matter, but they, they had all kinds of citations and against Conrail and they ended up going to court and sort of forcing them to, to help in a cleanup, right? Now, this particular example, it may have some other problems with it. Um, part of it was about, uh, you know, cleaning up this open-air drug market. So kind of just putting aside the, the specifics of this example, I'm asking you as, like, a law person, is this something that can be done? Like, something a bit more creative but expanded where if your rails come through our town, Right. Um, sort of, you know, citing them for whatever kinds of violations, being a little bit more creative, making a headache. It can become a numbers game thing, too, right, where, you know, rails go through so many different towns. And if only a few of them created that kind of headache for them, you know, that that it, is there anything here or is it just bullshit? Well, from the article that you sent me, if I'm not correct, or if I'm not incorrect about it, there seems to be like an encampment near some train tracks in an area of Philadelphia, where the city, uh, an encampment of people who are heavy drug users, and there's a lot of 
something like a half million used syringes in that area. And there were 17 overdose deaths that occurred last year in and around this area. Uh, but it seems to me that the city has reached an agreement with Conrail, who uh, I'm not sure if they, they own the railroad or uh, I, I assume they're the owners of the tracks in that area. But they've reached an agreement with Conrail that Conrail has to clear out this area because it's a public health and safety hazard. Now, that's that's a government basically forcing uh, the owner of a uh, railroad tracks, if I'm not if I'm reading this correctly, to clean up people who are there. <laughs> um, so, again, does the government have that power to stop a uh, train company or a railroad track company from? I guess, or to force them to clean up an encampment. Uh, yeah. Do we have that power? Yes, but we don't have the protection of the law necessarily. I mean, one thing you could possibly do, I mean, when I'm just thinking direct action, like just spitballing, you could, if East Palestine maybe could come together and refuse trains to pass through the town. The tracks. Now that's wild because that's not going to hold up in any court. Uh, anything that has to do with transportation, especially cross uh, cross state transportation, is within the purview of the federal government. Um, so they have the ultimate power on that. But I mean, it is direct. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like the the. Some of the direct action for stuff like this is, you know, what was going on with the Dakota Access, uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, you know, the problem is that there's no law that's going to protect you there. If you are, you know, let's say you engage in like sabotage or something like that. Um, you say, no, we're tired of oil companies that are potentially killing us. With or or in this case, we're tired of a, a Norfolk Southern pro, uh, transporting hazardous materials through our town, and it's killing our town. Uh, you know, you could potentially say we are fighting a life and death fight, so we're not going to let those trains pass through here anymore. Uh, now, how successful is that going to be, and how would you actually accomplish that? I don't know. It, it, it'd have to be some kind of sabotage. And then what happens then? Well, uh, the government's coming down on you. I, I wouldn't trust this administration to side with you. Uh, but that's a, potentially something that could be done. Um, other, I, I don't know. I don't know. Does that make sense, Phil? It does. And what you're saying about the more direct acts and stuff, that, that makes perfect sense. And also... I realize you'll probably be met with violence and you know really harsh repercussions. Uh, yeah. I was kind of wondering that I was reaching, reaching for any kind of thing that that that, that actually involved like local governments uh, being able to, uh, yeah, ticket them I mean, or the, something. You know, the local government. You know, the local government probably has the best um, the best chance there. Honestly, uh, in because the town, I know that whole town is going to be pissed off, including the mayor. Right. When you have a 4,000, 5,000 person town, 
they come together very quickly. Uh, well, especially when they're all in the same situation. Yes, they they are not going to give a single fuck about uh, Norfolk Southern's profits. So they can right. come together and try to do something. Um, now, what they could do is is tough because there's also the element of the railroad itself. I I'm almost certain since it's a cross country railroad is within the purview of the federal government. So what does that mean? Like transportation, uh, it's kind of like who has the authority to stop you from going onto some, someone's property. It's, it's a property right issue and an easement right issue. Uh, that would be challenged in court and it'd probably come down against, uh, the town, but should they do it anyway? Yeah. Like you should, you should do something. You, you, they should be using every single resource that they have to disrupt Norfolk Southern's uh, profits and force them to uh, fairly compensate everyone in that town and to fairly uh, clean up the mess that they've caused, the environmental damage, all of it. Uh, I think that's exactly what should be being done. But there's... And, and look, I don't want to give the impression that nothing's being done. I mean, there are several um, environmental groups, including like, uh, I believe like Earth Justice and the Sierra Club, who are trying to uh, force uh, lawsuits to uh, basically uh, force the Environmental Protection Agency to... Uh, pursue charges against Norfolk Southern. Uh, and they're also trying to force the Department of Transportation to uh, sort of re-implement the electronic brake regulation that they pulled back from. So that's, that's something. Um, but I, th- you know, like it's, it's tough because people like Pete Buttigieg are over here pretending that they're powerless and he's not. Um, I just, and, and plus, I just don't see, I, I'm skeptical that if this starts going through the, the courts, uh, it's going to be a problem because the courts are, for the most part, going to side with Norfolk Southern. Um, or if not Norfolk Southern, then at least with the Department of Transportation and um, uh, whatever other federal regulatory agencies could be involved here. All right, Phil. Thanks, bud. Yeah, sure thing. Sorry, I couldn't give you a, 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 some more hope here. Um, but the hope is like there. I mean, look, a lot of the the project here is building systems that we basically need to start building our own institutions, right? That that can not just empower us electorally, but do things like what's uh, Shivani or Sawant is doing, or Kashama, sorry, Kashama Savant is doing with this, uh, you know, world or this uh, national workers strike fund. Like that's stuff that's actually, that's a, a little bit of a longer project, but that's stuff that needs to start happening. I mean, and if, if we want to talk about direct action more too, I want to look a lot more into Cop City, but I, I'm not going to lie, I kind of like what they're doing. I kind of like the camping out in the forest to kind of like the stuff involved with it. 
Um, and we'll see. We'll see how direct that is. I mean, and, and look, what was the name of the girl in California way back when who saved that big redwood tree when she lived up there for like 700 days or something crazy like that? She was like 18. Uh, and she just stayed in a tree for two years. Uh, I forget what her name was. But, you know, shit like that. Maybe we start, I don't know, camping out on pipelines, <laughs> you know, camp out on the train tracks. I don't know. It's, it would be a lot, uh, not till they it'd be the a lot bridge. harder to get people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something like that. But, you know, I, I that's, I guess that's, those are, eh, those are possibilities for direct action, but, uh, just know that whenever we talk about direct action, especially when people talk about violence, I, I want to be clear that um, when it comes to violence, we are very much in a much more losing position. <laughs> okay. Um, states are institutions that have monopolies on the legitimate use of violence. Legitimate being, uh, you know, violence that is not punished by the courts. So they, they really have a, a monopoly power on that. Uh, once you start even getting into the realm of like trespass or whatever, uh, being somewhere, not leaving, we're getting at least into uh, nonviolent resistance when being faced with violence. So we got to be mentally prepared for that. And, and you know, like prepared emotionally prepared for that because that's that's a lot and if it ever got to the point of like outright violence i just want people to understand that like you are probably going to lose um and i don't mean that to try to like make people feel bad about it i mean it because uh they're way better at it like to you know to the extent that everyone i don't know i don't want to get into like civil war talk and i know no one's like advocating for that shit but like, I hear too many people here. I guess here's my thing. This is a, a me issue. It's not even a you issue. It's me. Um, but I, I do hear a lot of people or enough people talk about like violent resistance who have never been in a fight. And that always confuses me because I'm like, you at least got to know what it's like to take a punch. Like, you at least got to know what you're actually in for because that shit, like, it will take the wind out of you big time. And it could take the wind out of your sails. And part of believing in a revolutionary politics is understanding what that means. And I think that like, there are, uh, I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of people who are scared of that. And to some extent you should be, but at least if you're going to be advocating for certain things, uh, at least n go to a boxing gym or something. Know what it's like to just start getting hit know what you're asking people to do too and what you're asking them to endure. Um, Phil, I know that had like nothing to do with what you were talking about. <laughs> but... It's cool. I enjoyed the ride. <laughs> okay. Right on, man. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks for calling. Um, okay. So up next we got Lance. Lance, what's going on, man? Welcome back to the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. How you doing? You there? Where's my little ladybug? 
Get your ass up here, Lance. Get your ass up here. How are you doing, Bob? Hey, I'm doing good. Hey, welcome. Welcome back. How are you doing? Good, good, good. You know, there's so much, so much, so much. On the last point, all the lefties were happy about January 6th. Get those insurrectionists to jail. They were treated really, really bad in jail. Whether you think they're horrible people or not. Um, and they're going to have sentences as much as 40 or 50 years for, uh, what is it, violent or conspiratory, whatever it is. Yeah. Now they're doing in Atlanta, it's going to be domestic terrorism. So all those happy folks yeah. on the left who said, boy, yeah, get those January 6th people. Don't you realize it's like the neighbor, whoever said they came for the, they came for the right wing. And so-called rioters and that, and I didn't do nothing. I'm not a right way. I'm not MAGA. Then they came for the radical lefties down in Atlanta. I'm not a lefty, you know. No Then they came for me, and there's nobody left. So that's what we're up against. So be very, 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 be very uh, happy, I guess, guys, that uh, they put away all those January 6 people because they're going to put. They've already been doing it before that with the with the people that they were paying right with the corporations were paying millions of dollars to sheriff's department so the sheriff could go legally now. They're not private like Pinkerton and go and round up the, the, the water protectors. So we're, we're all standing by. And this comes back to the general point I'd love to make last, which is about what George Carlin said. I'm a populist. Ultimately, we are, we're, we're to blame, but it, it's very, it's kind of complicated. In other words, so, you know, <laughs> the train derailment, the credit card, Exorbitant, you know, putting us all in debt starting in the 70s, 80s, 90s when they said usury is okay when it was against the law in the Bible. They stoned people to death for usury in biblical times. But uh, America, but so, and you take that, then you take the 2008 meltdown. So even though the corporations and the government, you know, they did it, but we let it happen. Okay, okay, somehow it'll work out. I'll pay the minimum. So we just took credit card debt. I say we, the middle class people that really are the voters that run things, okay? And so we, we drowned in debt and we let it happen because we said, okay, yeah, we're going to put consumerism ahead of citizenry. Then we did it with 2008. Okay. I'm, I, 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 just keep going, but I disagree just so we're clear. Um, and I'll get into well, why. But well, keep going. well, okay. So 2008, yes, corporations ripped us off. People were duped. But when you know you're only making a few thousand bucks a month and somebody says you can have a 500,000, buyer beware. You didn't look down the road and say, you know, honey, this might be too good to be true. Let's just make a simple phone call. I have a $2,000 little investment account. Now, all right, whatever. And, and I, make sure they're a fiduciary, whatever. Okay, so yeah, people got screwed and all those people should go to jail. But if I leave a ninety-nine, you know, $90 of change on the bar when I go to use the men's room at a bar because I, I took my $100 bill and I paid 10 bucks, and that $90 is gone, I can scream and moan, but, it, you know, it's the bartender's fault and it's the robber's fault. No, it's my fault. And this is what we, this is what we've done. We've gone for the easy money. We turn our back on our own responsibilities to citizens. And oh my God, the corrupt government and the corrupt corporations. And okay. And the same thing is true during this last strike that they squelched the strike with the Biden administration. Would that have prevented this rails? No, the thing, no. 
So but we said, wait a minute, can I get 10 seconds for this one point? So what we said was, don't cancel Christmas. We want Christmas. We They've already had a lot of rail saying not that people knew about it. Fuck the chemicals. We want Christmas. Don't cancel. God damn it. And this is what all the mainstream media did. Nobody trusts. It's down to 9% trust of the mainstream media. So I'm sorry. If if we were let ourselves be duped, we don't, it's not like we trusted the media. They were really honest up to now. 10%. Nobody trusts the media. They kept saying, they're going to cancel Christmas. If we let the real people, okay, yeah, don't let it happen. Yeah. So yeah. all of a sudden, that, that was a, so, was, so let's stop there. So it's yeah. our fault. I'll- yeah, well, well, here's here's what I'll say to that, Lance. I, I think, look, I'm I'm not um, unsympathetic to some of the points you're making here, but let me let me ask you a question. Uh, say we're in I don't know the 1850s in America, and uh, I'm a slave. And you're a field hand. Do you think it's, do you think it would be my fault at that time that I was a slave and your fault that you were a field hand? Because you let it happen. Because you let the idea of you being a field hand uh, sort of be, I don't know, like uh, you bought into the system to some extent. Do you think it's an end of, so, so I think, I think in large part, the way that the systems are being structured are very much to disadvantage us, are very much to put people into credit card debt and make them rely on it, are very much um, dependent on making everybody think that it's our own individual failings, a character failing that got us this place. But the entire times we haven't had the reins of, of power. I mean, no, look, I like part of, the, part of the strategy too of the systems that we have um, part of the strategy of the people who are running the systems that they ha- we have now are to find the weakest points of human uh, emotion of human character of our, our worst parts of ourselves, our fears and to press apply as much pressure as possible to divide and conquer. That's, that's how it works, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and, right. But, but, and, but, but, but my question would be, the same forces you're talking about are doing the same thing as much as they can to Europe and to Canada. And yet we're the only co- – and to Chile, let alone – if the, okay, there's yeah, something called yeah. OECD nation. There's 40 of 38. Mm-hmm. Chile, Cuba, okay, Colombia, every single one. We're the only one out of 40, the only one. That doesn't have national, you know, universal health care. So all those forces you're talking about, like in Europe, they had a million, literally a million people in the streets they, in France because they wanted to raise the retirement age, get this, from 60 to 62. Yeah, having a unified rail strike of another million people and you, the uh, France and England are going to get together because they're getting screwed, too. So all those forces you're talking about are not just uniquely American. They're happening all over the West and all over the world. But, sure, but so, so why do I, they I, have I, all I this good stuff? We in well, America one, specifically. America, well, America is also more powerful than any other of those other nations where it's happened. America's got a stronger military, has got more control over public perception, a ton of it. Cultural perception is, is fucking almost all America. Then, I'm saying, then, but, but, but Biden, I already said that nine, 9%, it was down to nine, 90% of the people know that what the, what the media is telling them is bullshit. So if right. they're buying it, then that's so our Lance, fault. No, 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 no. Where we're at now with that, Lance, is that this should be an opportunity for us to build the sort of solidarity and community 
and uh, education that's needed to have a collective assault, a pushback, right? France has a longer labor history that wasn't destroyed. Like it's thousands of years old. Okay, but, but, but yeah. exactly. No, no, no. There's lots of reason for it in their DNA. I get that. But in France, the yellow vest, the John, whatever they call it, they're primi- primarily a, like a trucker type. You know, they're, they're basically a conservative group initially. But of course, all the Marxists say, yeah, we want the same stuff you do. They know how to yeah. do it. The Marxists yeah. know. The Marxists know because you have coalition governments. You have many parties. I, you know, all that stuff is true. Right. But I, I realize all the reasons for it, you know, because the Marxists know that, well, we're not going to just try to undo if we happen to be the part of the coalition that has, you know, we have a lefty, left to center socialist ish, you know, prime minister and we're Marxists. So now we have the, we have the majority. So let's like undo anything that was business wise and then take over the banks, nationalize them and give all the money away or whatever the fuck. Any more than the right wing immigrant party that beca- gets away because it's and she's right wing already and you know things shift all of a sudden they have more power nobody is trying to say like we do here in america no more affordable care act affordable care we can undo everything but we but see again i'm sorry i'm sorry george carlin will say this he goes to i'm not going to blame the politicians because we said give us the free credit give us the cheap houses give us christmas it's our fault i'm going to stick with that till the day i die because you know why let me just say one brief point the most humans ever in our country, ever, speaking of voting and media and all that, outside Indian, Native Americans, you know, that were slaughtered and slaves themselves were Jim Crow when they destroyed the Reconstruction for that, like almost 100 years, 90 to 75 years until the 50s when Brown v. Board and then the 60s, the Montgomery boycott, the least powerful people in American history that had alleged rights that weren't slaves or indigenous, the least powerful people in our history. I think that's indisputable. It took 18 months. But in Montgomery, in a local way, without any help, they caused, they said, you can sit anywhere you want in the bus. And guess what else happened? There were certain businesses that maybe not sitting in the restaurant, but there were stores that they shopped in where they were watched, but they could buy something good leave. So in other words, they shut down a good chunk of that economy. The least powerful people in the history of this country fucked the media. They were telling them they were assholes. They didn't have anything. They had nothing. And they did it. And if they can do it, we can do it. And fuck us if we don't. Yeah, I, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say is I believe in our capacity to do it because we can do it. They've done it. Um, I don't believe there's a quality of an American that does not have the capacity to change and grow or any other group of people that doesn't have the capacity to change and grow and decide from a place of powerlessness that they now want to try to gain that power back. Yeah, I literally have to go. I'm going to, I'm going to have to leave the room in 20 seconds. So can I just literally make a final, final point? Cy Hirsch, everybody says, of course he's got the goods. Of course he's 10,000% right. Everybody knows he's right. Guess what? Brianna Joy Gray, who I like a lot. And all these people tell Ralph Nader, it can't work. So why does he not have the same credibility? Ralph Nader, is the, Cy Hirsch, who did the story about the Nord Stream. I don't know, Cy Hirsch. Cy Hirsch, he's the one that everybody's talking about who completely blew away the idea that now we know for sure that the United States blew up the oh, North. I thought it was Seymour or something that did the Seymour North. Hirsch. Seymour, Seymour Hirsch. Seymour Hirsch. Okay, Cy. They okay, call okay, him Cy? Okay. Okay. Now, everybody is saying, everyone, 100, even people on the right, I guarantee Tucker Carlson is not going to go, oh, Seymour Hirsch made a mistake once. No, everybody knows he's right. That's, that's okay, a wait. power. 
That's no, 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 no. That's not the point. I literally just want to make this point. Why do we give Seymour Hearst that? 100% he's right. When Brianna Joy Gray tells Ralph Nader, who says, look, there's 750,000. He had a whole formula, a mathematical formula. If you get 500 signatures or 1,000, you can get a Republican, uh, anybody who's in your district, regardless of party, to show up for your town hall in the Congress. Justin Amash. Justin Amash. He's a libertarian. Great guy. He left Congress because they suck and they're all kids and he's an adult, whether he's a libertarian or not. He said 400 signatures. All I'm saying is, this is why it ain't going to happen on the left. This is why the left is dead. I'm talking about the Brianna Joy Gray left. All the whole left of people that we like, and I like her. I like her a lot. She yeah, she I threw Nader we, under the bus. Wait a minute. Though. She threw Nader yeah, under like, the bus. It doesn't she matter what Nader. she does. Lance, Lance, what? Lance, it doesn't matter what she does because she's not the movement. We are. She is like, the movement. A lot of people no, she's are not. not You're not a great man theory of history place. I don't, no, 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 I, I no, 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 no. I mean, I'm making a also, yeah, it has definitely been longer than 20 seconds. All I'm saying is that until the left will tell the people that won't reach out to the right, there's too much of that. I'm not, I'm an optimist. I'm an incurable optimist but what i see on the left even among people that i like a lot they got their head up their ass when it comes to working with right winger and conservatives number one and number two they don't want to listen to the people they 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 get their deer in the headlights i see it i watch it when they have chris hedges and they have ralph nader and they have people like uh, uh, professor wolf they get to a point where you could see that he's criticizing the people he's talking to indirectly and they, they get deer in the headlights, then they ignore it. They, they, those guys are elf on a shelf. They bring them out for their left wing cred a couple times a year and they're all, they all got their heads up their ass, even the ones I, I, maybe, maybe, but I don't think they matter. Okay. What matters is us. What matters are the people who actually move shit. Like at the end of the day, uh, a collectivist movement needs people to bind together and, uh, you know, take action. Like, I'm not going to stop, you know? I don't know. I guess it's, 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 it's almost like doomerish. And it's weird to kind of point to like the Tucker Carlson's and the Brianna Joy Gray's or anyone else. And Brianna Joy Gray way better than Tucker Carlson in, in every way, especially when it comes to what she's saying from a honest standpoint. But to like use them as the example, the examples of what even the right or the left or people believe or want, um, I just, I, I just think that's fundamentally. Uh, I don't think that's a good premise, you know. Um, anyway, Boopadoo, uh, I believe in you guys, I really do. Uh, Selly, what's going on? How you doing? Oh, hi. Hi, bye. Uh, I was wondering, uh, do you remember everybody was talking about the Railroad Union? Yeah, absolutely. So they have, uh, they are inscripted, right, as a union in the government. Inscripted? What do you mean? Well, there is legal unions and there is not legal unions, right? Oh, you okay. Can yes, yes, yes. So they, they, they are a legal union, right? They are yes. legally... Um, Put a legal personality or something like that. Yeah, okay. Uh, the thing is that I don't think it's so easy if they're going to, if they, the unions would go to, maybe I'm wrong, right? But close the, the rails, right? Like stand up and not letting trains pass until this guy renounces or something. Uh, for instance, right? Like I, I imagine there are better 
the better things to, to ask for. But let's take that as an example. Uh, if they are going to protest or they are going to make a strike or they are going to close the... It's not going to be that easy to arrest them. You don't think... Don't oh, they yeah. have any constitutional... Oh, yes, yes. So that's... A, I mean, look, I think one of the best things... I mean, that's a great point, Sally. Look, when the railroad union here was thinking about striking, um, the strike was not approved by their, and I forget if it was the union bosses or the, the Biden. Biden basically forced them to take a deal. And uh, funny thing about railroad unions in the United States is that uh, if the, usually unions can always make the choice to strike, right? Uh, and then they strike with the approval of the union head or the union heads, the people who they've elected to lead their unions. Um, and it's usually not illegal. It's not illegal to strike. But one of the exceptions are uh, railroad workers. So Biden declaring that, yeah, you cannot strike when then make it illegal. And it also means that the union bosses would not uh, approve of it. Now, that's not that's not. Okay. Um, Defeating. You Hold know? on, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost okay. done. The the that doesn't preclude them from striking, but it does raise the stakes as to what the consequences of their strike would be, and they would also be doing what would be like a wildcat strike. So that's a that's when the union membership does not agree with uh, what their bosses are saying about like how they uh, they need to accept this term or they need to accept the deals, and that's where they just start striking, which is also technically an illegal strike, but. Um, I think probably the point you're going to make and one that I agree with is, look, if you if you're facing shit like this, like a, you know, a railroad that is dumping chemicals into your town from lack safety standards, uh, then a technically illegal strike isn't really the worst thing that can happen here because the worst, worst more severe things are already happening from your lack of action from the lack of action that's happening, including like your town's getting poisoned. So yeah, why not? I wasn't like, going to say strike? that. Oh, yeah, no, okay. that, that, that is a good point, but I'm saying there's many ways to, to protest, right? You're saying, you're saying that the railroads are not a concession. That, that is so weird to me, that the notion of it is not a concession. You say they own the railroads, they are private. It's so strange that, right? Like, yeah. because the government, are you sure it's that it's like that? It's not a concession they give to the company. Yeah, they should nationalize the railroad industry. Honestly, I mean, they, oh, they so should nationalize it is a private. Lot. You are sure it's private? Well, there's a lot of private owners of um, rail cars, and there seem to be private owners of railways. Um, railways, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it's 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 weird because it's you know there aren't private like highways really in the United States. Um, but there are people who, I mean, look, it, it could be a situation and I haven't looked directly into this, but it could be a situation to where the owners of railroads are sort of people who lease out temporary, like, mm -hmm. um, uh, ownership rights over railroads. And that's something that some that's governments happened. have done in the United States. Oh, go yeah, ahead. And all, no, that's all over the world. It's usually like that, yeah. right? Like if you don't have the money to support them, you give a concession to an enterprise that for a certain amount of years do the maintenance or whatever it is that, and the investment and et cetera. But that's still not private, right? Like if you are going to cut 
that's a difference if you're going to cut or stand yourself and not allow trains to pass. The other thing that many times are done all over the world, right? And mm -hmm. they are doing it in France, but they do it all the time here, right? When people are too pissed, for instance, with the with the subway people, right? That they strike over and over. It gets a moment where people have to get to work, and one of the things they do is they open the they open the you know the the doors. Right. in a way so they don't charge for many hours right like they stop charging and people's passes and i mean there is so many ways i'm telling you this too right but there there is so many ways that you can find the legal loophole i imagine because you're a lawyer right that's why i'm commenting to you because otherwise i would say go and stand like if like my son was getting cancer i would be standing up right in the like yeah. pay for his treatment in the middle yeah. of the, like John the Q, gray road. You know? I, I will be in the middle of like like make a, I will be a big mess, right? If if yeah. the train passes over people, it will be a great mess. Yeah. Uh, even if they jump and save themselves. So the thing is that it, I agree with you in that, but the the loopholes that you can find, right? There is in, not to give examples of other places of the world that might not apply but there is creativity in in many of these people that that yeah i i don't know if if i, I the thing is that all the, the examples that i have to give but to give you might not work but there's loopholes always that if you're going to in a legal way and not get right arrested right. or maybe minors minors do get arrested yeah, but that you know what's funny is it's it's interesting um how during the civil rights movement they actually used minors and encouraged people to bring minors to their protests where there was going to be violence specifically because they knew it was going to be filmed and they knew it was going to Ow. make the state and the the cops and everyone look bad Ooh. because now they're attacking kids. And oh, well, I it's, it's <laughs> I mean, it's wild to think about, right? Because you're you're basically saying, "Hey, mothers and fathers who are down for the movement, your kids you have, to be, have to be also part of the movement." Um, no, you have to be desperate. You it's have it's to be well, desperate. we are we're desperate, right? Like, yeah, but how? It's no, a but apparently. But yeah, no, I know when you talk about it and I understand it, but apparently they're not because they're not like standing, crying and screaming in the middle of the, right? Like people here, they had three days that I was telling Rudy, like every time and they had this 90 year old that couldn't go down, right? It was like three, four days without light and they stopped mm. having water and they went and, and closed the main road. Right, it was a big scandal. They were chased. They were chased up to the doors, but it was a bigger scandal because they were chased, and yeah, they got the light, the light back, right? Mm. First of all, and the thing is that that is desperation. Yeah, <laughs> if you're desperate, you go and you sit in the middle of the railroad. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm saying is not, but you don't have to get to that point where you need, right? Like because when I said minors, I meant like if the legal age is 16, bring a 15 and a half year, right? Like, yeah. Something like that. No, Sally, we're going to put just a bunch of newborn babies all over the railroad yeah. tracks everywhere. 
All of you, That's we need you to start having babies. We're going to take them. We're going to put them in their little crib right on the railroad tracks. And they, we need them for the movement. And no, Selly, because... Selly wanted you to do that. This is advice yeah. coming straight from Selly. The Argentinian way. No, because many <laughs> times, right? We're so used to, to, to yeah. that people take their families. And that day, yeah. the, the one about the light, that were chased with bullets, right? Like uh, rubber bullets up to their the, the doors of their houses there yeah. were a lot of children because they were not supposed to be like a repression on so yeah sometimes it happens and to me it's, it's terrible but the other thing that i was that i wanted to mention one is yeah just get creative and find a loophole otherwise you have to wait until you're desperate and when you're desperate it's because things men like these people that go out is because every year and plus of that they have 100% inflation and they you know and they and they are losing their job because if you don't go every day you lose your compensation you know so many things that that apply don't get to that point but uh, yeah what i wanted to tell you is what you were saying before because i really agree with you the thing about meritocracy has been I think the most useful lie to to yeah. neoliberals ever, right? Yeah, like it's everything terrible. is their fault. Your, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's it's disgusting, and it's disgusting when it's applied even more by your fellow citizens. It's horrible, and yeah, yeah and that and, and part of this. Uh, okay, if you don't like making things simple. No, if you don't, it's, it's like uh, uh, if, you, if you're in your house, if you spend more than you, than you gain, then you, no, nothing is right. that simple. And, right. oh, you go recycle. If you go, don't recycle. You're not recycling your book. Oh, that's your, right. you, you can fix global warming. And, right. yeah. Or, hey, your society is, 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 is oppressive and relies on debt and consumerism and, uh, Everyone told you to go to college and blah, blah, blah. And you are responsible by pulling yourself out, out of your own bootstraps. And this is why the left will lose. That kind of logic is just, it's bullshit. It, you're not looking at the system. Like the, the, the system very much depends on the false narrative of meritocracy as well. And it uses it to justify oppressing you and oppressing yes. Just like the entire populace. I it's mean, the fact that Pete Buttigieg, look, Pete Buttigieg t does not have the merit to be in that job, but his resume <laughs> says he does. He says, oh, look, he was a Rhodes Scholar or whatever he was. Congrats. Like, I can't imagine being as accomplished as Pete Buttigieg and being so uh, empty in anything that I was actually doing in any of the positions that I was being given. It is. It's mind blowing. Like for people who come yeah. up who are that smart or should be that like should be the, you know, the leaders of the world, as we're told or whatever, like are the best of our best. He's he's got no sauce. Right. Yeah, he is yeah. no, but it's, completely it's without sauce. Here's the thing, because you mentioned somebody else that, that, that is doing a good job and you said maybe it's like, no, that's, here's the thing, yeah. like big footage supported. Uh, this guy, right? Like they said, vote Biden, right? Yep. Uh, no, when they, he still was against Bernie. So yeah. uh, that that is paid with a with a ministry, 
that, that is happens all over the world, right? Like, yeah, yeah. so where to where can we put it? And he will negotiate. I want a ministry where I have power, right? And and the the ministry, everything that has a ministry has to do with like you cannot leave the government out of it, so, right? right? So when you were saying, what can we do? No, my God, that is something that the government has to fix. Otherwise, they wouldn't have a ministry. And it's something that is part of the social contract. You had a social contract in which you are going to be protected and you're going to work and you're going to pay taxes. There is a certain understanding. That's why there is a ministry. And that should be, they are obligated to provide to you safe railroads or safe trains or, you know, like corruption kills here, here happened uh, uh, there was a lot of death in 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 a train accident many people went to jail because you know the victims it it was terrible it was terrible yeah. it was like a, a war zone and because it wasn't the station and the thing is is corruption kill and inaction as well right and those little corruptions that seem not to be a lot like putting this candidate okay what do we have right. okay this, right and, and he's an asshole and he's doing nothing yeah. that kills yeah. people it kills he's people, people. It, it, it's a policy decision that leads to people's lives being uh lost and i yeah because it's a really good point cancer the little kids yeah. right in that time yeah. you don't know so yeah that's uh, that's, that's, the, point that's a great point sally I, I, really good stuff um Thank you so much for calling in. No. I think uh, I, I got to start getting done with the show just because I got to go back to writing a brief of course, for work. Of course. No, no. <laughs> Thank you for but, taking yeah. my call. Oh, Bye. yeah. Pleasure. Pleasure. Great stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we got one more caller, people. One more caller. And then I got to go back to writing a motion to dismiss. Oh, yeah. About contract law, baby. Offer and acceptance. You know anything about it? Okay. Maria, welcome. How are you doing? Uh, I think I'm well enough. How are you today? I'm okay. I'm I'm been working all weekend just on work. I wish I could have done more research for this show just because I know there's a lot more here, but like there's only so many hours in the day and uh turns out people need sleep. So uh Well, I'm really grateful that people aren't letting this go. Uh, yeah. It's, it's critical to keep our awareness until there's some kind of resolution it, it'll never go all the way there but i was wondering if you caught the interview with uh matt weaver who's the legislative director ohio member of the railroad railroad workers united isc matt weaver matt weaver weaver i know the name because wasn't he on an episode of uh like was it uh, Chapel Trap House or something where he was uh, talking to people? I swear I've, I've heard him before, but I, I haven't caught this uh, particular uh, interview, yeah. I don't think. Well, he's he's been on multiple platforms just because. And he's immune from being fired because he's considered, well, whatever. He was illustrating that between the period of 2011 and 2021 10-year period that Norfolk Southern, uh, which is worth $55 billion, paid out about $18 billion in 
stock buybacks to, you know, yeah. bolster their investors. And during the same time period, they reduced their workforce by 30% from over a million people down to just about 170,000 people. Yeah. Uh, it, in a 10-year period, it, what in the world did they think was going to happen if they didn't improve infrastructure with any of that money or invest in their employees? Well, what I, I, in the I, world? I, I'll tell you what they thought was going to happen. They thought their bank accounts were going to go up. And they well, did I mean, that's that's why they did it. It's it's the the objective always the what they want and their what corporations are built to do. Besides insulate people within them from being people and to insulate them from liability. And personal responsibility, um, the people who are within corporations, because you you know, most of the time, you're not going to be liable for anything your corporation does. Your corporation is going to be liable for that. But what and do they want to do? They want to make money. That's what that's what the machine is built to do. Like, I think, like, regulations are so fucking necessary, people, especially in capitalism. Or else, they, like, pe- they don't care about health and safety. They only care about health and safety if they're forced to care about health and safety. Because it doesn't affect their bottom line. They don't have a huge problem with, especially if you're going for short-term profits, uh, with taking risks over and over and over and over again. And because the the shareholders are insulated from liability, the worst that happens to the corporation is even if they're sued for all the money, all the money they have, let's say that somehow a suit goes through – these corporations become insolvent. They declare bankruptcy. And all of their debts are forgiven. Their their debts go away. They have to pay what has to come from what money they have left, but then it's over. And all the people who were the shareholders of that company and all the people who made millions of dollars from running that company have no liability. They just walk away and form another corporation. Like, that's the point of a corporation. Like, I'm not like... It's it's really not – I'm not, like, saying a bunch of shit that is wrong. Like, this is just literally what it's meant to do is protect from liability and I, have a shield that generates profit. That's, that's it. Corporations with a conscience do actually exist, but they're few and far between. But exactly. I know exactly what you're saying, but how, how do you bring in accountability – Regulation. What it has to start with regulation. It has to start with there are huge consequences. Of course, but how do you accomplish that when there's no wherewithal to do it? Because you take power. You got to take. That's the. I mean, that's got to be it. We we have to. If there's anything I could say to the left, honestly, or just to people in general, people like you, Maria, uh, I'm tired of people who are not like you. Uh, being the ones who make all the policy and hold all, all the power over people who are like you. And what's the we, we have to take it. What's There's the a couple. There's a couple of different ones. I mean, like, look, part of it is um, 
concentrated organizing in certain sectors, uh, whether that is, uh, you know, something like creating union uh, funds, bolstering unions, creating unions in, in different places in the private sector. That's one uh, taking over local governments and going from there. That's another yeah. uh, directly establishing basically uh, support networks for people who are affected by these things to build both uh, trust and solidarity with them, right? I mean, shit, one thing we could potentially do, I don't know how, I wish I had more um, experience with like, uh, like campaign finance and the likes, but, or, or, or uh, I guess like organization, organizing uh, sort of funds, because one thing that could be done would be, uh, you know, everyone talks about mutual aid now, but imagine a uh, like a mutual aid fund specifically for uh, the people in East Palestine. Even though, again, that doesn't solve the problem with Norfolk Southern. Norfolk Southern and their structure has to be attacked like directly because. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned unions as your first point, but that didn't work out for them. For who? The rail workers in the unions. They, yeah. they got fucked. Yeah, but I think if they... I think more militancy is probably needed in this situation. Mil- Mil- what do you mean by militancy? So by militancy, I mean basically being more willing to um, break rules. Uh, yeah. Now, that's, that's a weird position to have. Uh, by militancy, I don't mean like they all pick up guns and start just blasting. Uh, that's not what I mean. What I mean is uh, they have being more uh, playing hardball more uh, being willing to say if 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 the government is like, well, this is an illegal strike to say, well, it's a necessary strike and to do it. Uh, so I say the, that, a wildcat version where they risk their livelihoods. Even though it's tough, right? It's tough because they they're directly risking their livelihoods. Corporations really never are, so there's a there's always going to be an imbalance with that. That's there unless there's some sort of uh, way that unions are continually funded and supported without the need, without having to rely individual members having to rely on the continuation of the union for their individual livelihood, or the continuation of employment for their individual livelihoods. But again, that gets into like generating money. Like we're, we're, we're always at a bit of a disadvantage here just because um, the structures in our society have been, uh, are structurally made to give us structural disadvantages, right? And any kind of change of those structures within them is going to require us also confronting the structures as they're already built up to, uh, that are invested in uh the continuation of their own existence as they are. Right. So it's a, it's like a, it's, we're always going to be in a little bit of like a, uh, a disadvantage, but I think we, we, to some extent, we have to get over this idea that uh, the changes we want are a riskless enterprise. Like it's, it's almost as if, um, well, look, this is how I see it. The continuation of things going on as they currently are, are going to lead us to destruction, right? I don't see a way out of this 
from like I, I don't see a way out of this if things continue as they are. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what I was looking for because every mechanism, as much as we want it to work, isn't working. So we need to figure out new and better ways to work our way out of, you know, the. we need to find new ways that are more effective to do anti-establishment movements. And, and part of that, Maria, is accepting the fact that anti-establishment, a lot of the times, uh, is going to mean, I don't know, not necessarily illegal, but it's not going to be uh, things that power is going to take kindly to. Uh, because it, it, by its very definition, it's anti-establishment, right? So it's... it's um, I guess where I'm coming down, like, I, I don't, I, part of it is to keep informing people of this, but part of it too is we have to actually make the choice that we need to take power, you know, just to put it bluntly, we need to, we need to do the things to take power. And, and I'm sorry, it, it doesn't necessarily mean complete overthrow of the government and everything like that. But we, we need to get comfortable with the idea that like the reason all of this stuff is happening to you, to the people in East Palestine is because the people that have power and the structures that have power are not built for you or by you. So what's the way to get out of that power? It's, it's really it. So, and part of that means, you know, taking it where you can, which well, is why, yeah, go ahead. That, that, that's why Palestine is getting global sympathy right now is because yeah. they, they desist, they stopped being the aggressors and they became, you know, the defenders. It, it's, it's so much more one-sided than it was 30 years ago when people demonized Palestine and suicide bombers you know, part of their global power is coming from their nonviolent position. I, I think you know, there's a lot there because, one, it's debatable as to whether Palestine was ever really an aggressor here. Were they more aggressive? Was there more back and forth with Hamas? For sure. But it's, it's tough. It's almost like, um, I don't know, it'd be like calling... Some of the, I don't know, like Native American tribes, aggressors, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, the Comanche, probably a little more than others, if I'm going to be real. But, uh, I mean, the point's well taken, too, that, like, the power imbalance, as much of it as it is in balance now, is, uh, it, I don't know, creating some more global sympathy for for their position. Um but yeah, I mean, like, how do we get out of this? We we have to, like, people on this call need to start thinking about how do they how do they take and gain and exercise power. Um, that's really what it comes down to, and there are a lot of methods, a lot of different ways to do that, and the strategy is going to be dependent on where you are. Um, and it's not all electoralism. In fact, a lot of it's not. Uh, but I know 
I I refuse to vote for anybody. I've made up my mind. I'm not voting for anybody in the future that hasn't earned it. I I don't I don't care what people say or criticize. I'm I'm done with the less, lesser of two evils vote. I'm done yeah. with all that. Yeah. You you have to earn my vote or else you just simply don't get it. But unfortunately, I'm in Kentucky and my representative is McConnell, so writing to my senator is a total waste of time. Uh, what else could we do? Uh, like what else do you think you could possibly do there? Throw rocks. Throw- <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Um, and uh, but uh, yeah, but uh, I, I I think starting to find where those pressure points are in Kentucky. I wonder, I mean, I'm a big fan of issue, issue based uh, initiatives because you can disguise them a little more as being a and get more people to uh, get behind them. Uh, it sounds like your, your dog agrees with me. Uh, what up dog? Uh, but yeah, I mean like it's, it's, a letter campaign I, I do think, Judge you know, if writing a letter is not effective, and do something. what we need to understand, though, is that that doesn't mean that there aren't effective ways or ways to be effective. He can, he's only limited to what's legislated. It just means we have, to, we have to think. We have Bullshit to come up with new is. methods. And sometimes maybe one letter does nothing. Maybe a he lot of letters He can be fierce, and he has to abide by but, regulations in place, uh, which have been yeah. all over Anything the place. Anything else, Maria? And you know, been revoked after, you know, billions of dollars lobbying Washington to not have to be required to update their braking systems and other infrastructure. But whether or not those regulations are formally in place, if you're the Secretary of Transportation... You have a job to do. You have a job to do. Yeah, you do. Uh, yeah, I put the um, the contact information for the uh, U.S. Department of Transportation. Uh, we should write letters. That's something like even if it's just a boilerplate letter. There's probably a better way to do this, but and yeah. look, maybe that's not enough. Well, but thank just you doing for your time, Bide. I really appreciate you creating uh, this platform nothing. for us and, to discuss. But I do so, think. Thank you. Uh, I don't think we can force Pete Buttigieg to get better. At a certain point, I think we need to think about how do we get someone like Lena Khan in there? Um, and how can we do that uh, everywhere? 
everywhere that we are. And actually, I I, I do have to go now. Um, I got to finish this brief, um, unfortunately. Yeah, sure thing. And I, I appreciate you calling in, Maria. But thank you. Um, thank you, everyone, for coming out. Uh, fun show. I'm going to try to get back to Tuesdays regularly just so we have some more predictability to the schedule. I have a lot of fun topics I want to keep talking about. Um, we'll see, though, because, man, work is nuts. And they are trying to get me to just make them money. That is all they give a shit about. They're like, get your fat ass in there, boy, and make us some money. That's what they're doing. So um, uh, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, uh, always happy to have you out here at the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. And uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, take care.